If you would, go ahead and turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 8. So it says, What advantage then is there in being a Jew, or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is deserved. Let's pray. Yeah. Father, we come to you, Lord, and we just uh, we ask that you open our minds, open our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would bless this word. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. Lord, I pray that this message would be yours. Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, we would... Um, we begin to tear down some of the walls that we build around our heart, Lord, that, that you could, you could um, pierce our heart and, and remind us that um, the work that's been done was done by you for us and that um, we can't do it on our own. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we've got going on here is uh, Paul is beginning to um, answer some objections, some questions that come up, and uh, as I was studying this, I kind of imagined this as a conversation between Paul and myself as a teenager, because um, all of these questions to me remind me of uh, teenagers' questions. Um, so, right off the bat, what advantage is there in being a Jew, or what value is there in circumcision? So, right off the bat, we've got this attitude of like, so, because you remember, what we've, what we've gone through in Romans 1 and 2 is this dismantling of any kind of self-righteousness or excuses, and so we just finished with Paul going through and saying that your circumcision is meaningless if it is just physical circumcision if you're not obeying the commandments. So it's almost like this teenager saying, fine, if circumcision is meaningless, if I don't obey the commandments, then what's the point? Is there any advantage? It's almost that, that kind of that arrogant, talking back kind of attitude. And so uh, immediately when I read this, I'm thinking, okay, well, we're not Jewish, so that's not super applicable here. How do we apply that first section to our lives? And I think the key in that first section to how is this applicable to us is the, the phrase entrusted with. So the Jews were entrusted with the word of God. They were given the, uh, the Mosaic law. They were given the prophets. They were given the kings. All throughout Israel's history, the Jewish people have been the ones that have been blessed by God. And their role, all the way back to what we discussed last week with Abraham, was to bless the world with it. It was never supposed to be, let's circle our bandwagons and Israel's all that matters and the rest of the world can go jump off of a cliff somewhere. You know, that's never how it was meant to be, but that's the way that Israel treated it. They, they you know, I mean, you've got, uh, you see all through the New Testament the way that there's this hatred of the uh, Samaritans. Um, Non-Jewish people were treated 
pretty poorly by the uh, by, by Israel, and so um, that begs the question today. Um, we've been entrusted now with the gospel. Our Savior came to us. He laid his life down for us. He took our place. But it wasn't as simple as that. He, when he was resurrected, he said that you are to go and make disciples of the world. We were given his mission. He said, love God, love people. And so the same thing, we were not called to circle our bandwagons. We were not called to take this message for ourselves and make our entire mission to get to heaven. That's a, it's, a, it's a worthy goal. It is. But our mission was not that simple. Our mission was to bring as many people to heaven with us as we can. Our mission was to tell people the good news of the gospel. And so if we, um, in our selfishness, are keeping it to ourselves, and that's the thing that we're most concerned with, we're doing, we're repeating the same mistakes of history again. We're doing the same things that Israel has done again. And so that's the first thing. And so I imagine myself having this argument with Paul, um, you know, well, what's the point then? And Paul says, uh, you know, you, you were entrusted with this. You need to do this. And so then I imagine my rebuttal being, well, what if I don't? Okay. What if some did not have faith? So what if I don't have faith? What if I don't do what you asked me to do? Does that nullify God's faithfulness? Does my lack of response, my lack of faith, mean that God's not going to do what he's promised? And the answer there is, I mean, here, the whole story, front to back, um, that's what we see every time from start to finish that we see Israel or any particular character um, sin or walk away from what they were called to do. Not only, like last week we talked about Abraham going into Egypt and lying about the fact that Sarah was his wife and saying that uh, she was his sister. Not only did God not condemn that, God took that and he used it. And he allowed that to be the thing that caused Abraham to generate this wealth for Abraham to become this father of many nations. We see it again, Pharaoh in Egypt, Pharaoh hardens his heart and will not let his people go. And, and a couple of times he says, yeah, you know, fine, y'all can go. But then he changes his mind. And, and every time we see God use that for his own purposes. Now, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but every, every um, plague that was sent to Egypt uh, was uh, against one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. So it was essentially God saying, okay... Um, you think that that's God, let me show you I'm God over that God. You think that's God, I'm God over that God. And so God used the hardness of Pharaoh's heart for his own purposes again. In fact, we see here the, the scripture that Paul quotes, um, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. That's Psalm 51, verse 4. And Psalm 51 was the verse that was, uh, was the psalm that David wrote after his affair with Bathsheba, where he says, against you, O Lord, only have I sinned. And he goes on to say that, that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. And so right there, Paul is using a psalm to prove his point. David, the man after God's heart, has just gone off the rails because he didn't, he didn't do what God called him to do. He didn't let his heart be governed by God's word. And instead of God coming in saying, I'm done with all of you, God's faithful again. 
So then I imagine myself, again, as a teenager saying, okay, fine. If God's going to be faithful every time I screw up, well, then doesn't it make sense that I'm, I'm, I'm going to screw up? And when I screw up, his righteousness is revealed more clearly. Every time I mess up, God is just. And we can see that. It's just one more example. So then is it really just for him to, to, to condemn me? You know, if every time I mess up, he looks good. Is it really right for him to condemn me? And again, Paul just says, certainly not. And, and it amazes me. So section three and section four, the two questions here at the end, section three and section four, um, are really the same question from a different viewpoint. Um, we've gone from, I'm trying to, to build this case up for myself of why I deserve salvation to Paul's dismantled that to, okay, fine. Is there any advantage? Paul says, yeah, you were entrusted with this. Okay, fine. If I can you know, what if I don't, what if I don't have the faith? And, and now we've come down to this last point where we're like, fine, I'm going to blame God. Okay. So we've gone from trying to defend ourselves to the point where we finally realize there's no defense. I can't defend myself. I have no leg to stand on. So then what does the typical teenager do? Well, if I'm not good, you're not good either. I'm going to blame you. And so that's the next thing. If our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing wrath on us? But let's think about that for a moment. Have you ever heard anybody say that genuinely? I mean, what would the implications of no wrath be? If God was a God that did not, um, if he did not uh, practice justice, if all he did was say, okay, well, you're bad, makes me look good, so we're going to let you slide, what would that look like? Because we think about that in our own sinfulness, and the argument here makes this, makes this case for our own sinfulness. Well, when I lied, God's grace was revealed, and so it makes him look good, but I, I, I shouldn't be judged for that. What if we took that same principle and we applied it to someone like Hitler? Oh, man, in, in the depravity of Hitler's mind, God must have really been magnified. Man, if my lie makes God's grace look sufficient, what kind of grace is that? And everyone in here would go, no, that's abhorrent. There's no way that would be right. There's no way. And so this argument isn't real. We all know it's not real. It's just the way that we try to make ourselves feel better. I'm not as bad as that guy. And so you shouldn't judge me. Isn't that, the, isn't that the fun thing to say? You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. That's what society runs around saying. You can't judge me. You know, we don't like the idea that we're depraved to our core. We don't like the idea that we're sinful. It's something that really bothers us. And so we go from blaming to trying to make excuses for ourselves. And that's the last section. If my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as sinners? And I just imagine myself, after I've blamed God and Paul said, mm-mm, think about that, mm-mm. Then I go, well, why, why am I still condemned as a sinner? It, it, I finally hit that point. There's a principle in sales um, that a person's first objection is very rarely their real objection. And so we get to the heart of the matter when we get to this last part where 
we finally get and we see what it is that's really bothering us. Why am I condemned as a sinner for the things that I do? I want to be excused. I don't, I don't want this to be held against me. And so I make these excuses. If, if, evil, or if, if evil results in good, then I should go on and sin some more. I should do it more. Not, not because you shouldn't judge me, but because I'm doing you a favor. Now I'm making excuses for myself again. And when we examine everything in this passage, what we see is that at the core of all of these things is the selfishness in our hearts. Everything here. I want an advantage. I want my circumcision to mean something. I want being a Jew to mean something. I want to have a leg up. It's about me. Okay, well, what if I'm not faithful? Will God be faithful? Again, it's, it's about me, my selfishness. I'm looking for a way out here because I don't like what you've said so far in this letter. I don't like it at all. If my unrighteousness brings your unrighteousness, then you can't be just to, to judge me. Again, it's about me getting off the hook. Everything here is about me getting off the hook. And we finally come to that place where, where, where we, we're open about where we're at. I don't want this. See, we take these arguments, and this is not all the arguments that could be made. We all make arguments in our life for why we do what we do and how it's okay. You know, I've heard Christians joke about the fact that I did that, but I knew I was a Christian so I could ask for forgiveness. And that's, it's funny. It's funny when people say it. But at the heart of the joke is, you know, they say that in every, in every joke there's an ounce of truth. You know, and that's the thing at the heart of the joke. When we get to the center, we realize the fact that we, we, we do that. We believe that, that I can do what I want. And as long as I feel sorry for it later, it'll be okay. But have you guys ever noticed it's hard to feel sorry for something that you did intentionally? It takes a lot of uh, somebody coming in and really breaking your heart. It takes a lot of work of the Holy Spirit um, for you to accept the fact that something I did intentionally, knowing I could ask God for, um, it, it takes a lot of work for that to, to feel wrong, you know? In fact, um, the path that we talked about in Romans 1 was that as we sin and we continue doing these things, eventually God turns us over in his wrath, and so we no longer think that they're wrong, and it's a dangerous path that we walk. And so um, what, we're, what we're looking at here is that as we use these excuses, whatever they may be, as we use these excuses to, to build up these walls that we think we're protecting ourselves with, what we're really doing is we're building a prison that we can't get out of. Because so long as we think that we're okay, we can never accept the grace that's been given. Because we think we don't need it. I remember, because I was baptized as a, um, a sophomore in high school. I was baptized, a very legalistic church. And I remember um, after, after that, I walked away from church. And as an adult, I was at a leadership conference. They did a non-denominational service at the conference. And it was at that conference I realized that I needed to change my life. I needed to follow Christ. I needed to surrender. And I went down and I gave my life to the altar. And, and, and that is the moment that I say that I was saved because it's the moment that my journey began. Um, but I remember leaving that 
altar and going out into the foyer and somebody came up and they gave me a big hug and they're like, man, welcome to the family. And I was so uptight because I'd built all these walls around my heart that I looked at them and said, I was baptized as a sophomore. This was just me recommitting. Like I was so defensive of the idea that I had previously been wrong that I couldn't accept somebody's love in saying, hey man, we're so glad you've, you've chosen to be a part of the family of God. I was so defensive. Those walls I had built became a prison that kept me trapped. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so there's, there's a song uh, that I really, really like. I, I don't know if you guys would like it much. It's a, it's a metal song by a metal Christian band. It is a Christian song. But he says in there, the song takes you through this journey. And he says at the beginning, um, uh, I look alive, but the inside is something worse. I'm fooling all with the right deeds and nice words. And that's something that we can get trapped in doing is that we act Christian, but we refuse to let down the walls. Um, And then as the song progresses, he realizes uh, and he says something in there. um, Have I been washed in the blood or just in the water? I won't, you know, what was was my baptism? Did I really understand the significance of it? And then finally, at the end, um, he says, don't be nervous to face the truth that you're not fine. You never were. Don't be frightened to see the light when you open up your eyes. And he says, um, now I'm alive. Would you believe it? My heart is clean, though it was so defiled. Now I'm alive inside these broken bones. It's just wonderful song. Lyrically, it takes you on this beautiful journey of what we go through as Christians as we mature. Because I think all of us start in the same place where we try to defend. It's that teenager attitude. I can't be wrong. And as we come into Christianity, we all start off as these immature Christians. And that's not a problem as long as we don't stay there. You know, babies are cute until grown men act like babies, right? And it's the same thing as Christians A baby Christian acting immature, trying to defend all the things that they do, that's okay. But we got to get in the Word. We got to really get a good picture of what the Gospel says. And the Gospel says we're not fine. We never were. We can't do it. We can't make it. It's not up to us. If we try, we fail. Christ came. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He was the perfect life. He was the perfect sacrifice. We couldn't do it. And there's another song. This one you guys might actually like. It plays on like Air One. Um, But it's um, called Freedom by Run Kid Run. And he says in there, he says, all my chains I can't disengage. I I don't believe that I want to. Uh, Broken down I lay. I I keep holding my chains no longer bound, but here I stay. And that's the thing. We've been set free. And we have a mission. We've been entrusted. It, it all comes full circle. We've been entrusted with the mission of our Savior. And that mission was to take the good news that we've been given, that our chains have been broken, that we've been set free, to take that and start freeing others. One of, one of, the, one of, the, uh, one of the business leaders that I really look up to, his name's Jake Baker, and he says uh, that his mission in life is to set the captives free. 
because he was a man that was addicted to drugs, sold drugs, and something radical happened in his life, and God reached him, and he cold turkey off of everything, cocaine, everything, cold turkey, never touched it again. One weekend, got told the truth, and whole life changed. And he said he was set free, and so his whole mission in life is to set the captives free. And that's the thing. We've been entrusted with it. And so the question is, will we do what we were called to do, or will we do what Israel did and hoard it and circle our bandwagons and make it about us? Because that's the passage here. It's the message here. All four, all four questions stem from a, a, a selfish voice inside us. It's all about me. The most freeing thing that ever happened to me is when I realized that Joshua's life was never about Joshua. I'm not the main character in my story. I'm an extra. I don't, my name's not even in the credits. My whole life is to bring glory to my Savior. Everything about it. When I got that right, it was easier, not saying it's easy, but it was easier when someone wronged me to not take offense. Because it's not about me. When we argue, when she does, you know, when I go home at night from work and, and instead of weighing what have I got accomplished today versus what have you got accomplished today, it's easier to say hey, your life's not about you. It's about being a good example. It's about shining the light of Christ. Whenever you accept that, your life is not about you. These questions don't matter anymore. You're not asking them anymore. Because you know the answer. It's about Jesus. It always was. So that's my message for you guys. Next week we're going to hit uh, the fever pitch of all of this. Um, next week is when we really get to uh, understanding that no one's righteous. It's the, last, it's the last week of us looking at our own depravity. After that, the, the two weeks, we're going to look at God's righteousness um, and uh, how, how beautiful it is. Um, that uh, famous verse uh, um, that says, uh, um, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and, then, and are justified freely by His grace. Two weeks, we're going to get into that. Next week, we're going to culminate everything we've been talking about. Um, in this journey. And so I hope that as we continue, you guys will continue what we talked about from the beginning. You'll continue to pray that God would reveal to you what it is that you need to change. Whether that's some sin you need to let go of, whether that is I just need to reach out and be more loving, that you would, you would seek an internal revival. Because so often we look for change out there, when in reality the change we need to see is right here. And if each of us changed right here, the change out there would take care of itself. It's what I told you guys in week one of Romans. Uh, one of my favorite pastors, um, his father said, the hardest thing is not getting people saved. The hardest thing is getting people lost. And that's why we've spent so much time here. And everything's going to culminate next week.